Hi, and welcome to OECD On The Level. I'm Bill Bilo, and today we're talking with Tyler Collard of the OECD. Tyler is Manager of Sector Projects in the Responsible Business Conduct Unit, which is part of the OECD Investment Division. The unit has recently published Due Diligence Guidelines for Responsible Business Conduct. It's a publication that provides practical, plain language support to companies on the implementation of the OECD guidelines for multinational enterprises. We're going to be talking about the role of the OECD in spearheading global due diligence standards. Let's start out with a little background, Tyler. Tell me about the origin of the OECD's work on due diligence. Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks. Well, the concept of due diligence itself is really not new. I mean, lawyers, uh, businessmen have been using that concept for a long time to check for legal compliance with law or to ensure and manage risk. Really, it's a risk management tool. What's different about due diligence, the way that we put it forward, is that it's an outward-facing approach to risk. Risk not just to the company, but to harms to people, to the environment, to human rights. The OECD got involved with this because, really, the OECD has been the place for setting international uh, government-backed recommendations for business on business ethics. Um, In the 70s, the OECD adopted the Guidelines for Multinational Enterprises, which are the most comprehensive code of conduct, if you will, uh, adopted by governments. Uh, This has evolved since the 70s, of course, expectations have evolved. Um, and in 2011, the concept of due diligence as being a cross-cutting tool to manage risk for human rights, environment, labor, and corruption was introduced. The recently published due diligence guidelines for responsible business conduct are general guidelines that can be applied to any sector. But the OECD's first work in due diligence was sector-specific. What industry or industries did the OECD begin with? With the guidelines, they're general. They don't provide any sector-specific advice to companies. In 2003, 2002, there were a number of reports emerging, including from the UN Security Council, about conflict, so-called conflict minerals in Central Africa, about the mining of certain metals, financing armed groups, uh, and sanctioned individuals and entities. So this led to quite a long discussion between the OECD and the UN Security Council and other experts about whether the OECD could provide further guidance. So the first one we started with actually came out of this very conflict and security responsible mineral supply chains work. And in fact, we adopted a guidance on due diligence for responsible mineral supply chains in 2011. Since then, the uh, sector-specific work has really taken off because business and other civil society and unions see a lot of value in providing practical advice that everyone can rally behind on how to manage risk in supply chains. So we have now due diligence guidance for agricultural supply chains uh, that we adopted with the FAO, Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN. We have due diligence guidance for responsible garment and footwear supply chains, a very highly visible for the consumer supply chain. Uh, We have due diligence uh, guidance as well for the financial sector, for institutional investors. Um, yeah, so there's a, and we also have guidance for stakeholder engagement in the extractive industry. What is the appetite of the private sector to adopt due diligence guidelines? Is there resistance? Is progress slow? Is progress going at different speeds? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, it really is going at different speeds and, you know, it really has to do with, uh, what is 
the whole universe or uh, what are the, what's the constellation of issues happening around that sector that I think have driven progress or uptake at different levels. So um, it, with regard to mineral supply chains, there's been a lot of energy on that. There's been legislative action in the, in the U.S. and in the European Union. There's been a lot of pressures from consumers and consumer campaigns in the electronics and jewelry industry. Um, so as a result, the industry really galvanized around uh, the, our due diligence for minerals guidance, and we've seen a lot of uptake of that guidance. Um, of course, how well that's translating the impact on the ground, that takes a long time because these are complex scenarios, and I think that's really uneven um, in terms of how we're seeing that translate to impact on the ground. But markets have adopted these requirements. Companies are really rallied behind it. And why? Well, because it's also a risk management tool for them because now they know that if they implement these standards, these are the ones that industry bodies, that uh, civil society, NGOs, and unions have endorsed and said this is the right thing to do. So at least they know what the right thing to do is. Um, in other sectors, um, I would say it's moving at different speeds. In our garment and footwear uh, sector, it's really starting to build a lot of momentum in the last couple of years. There's been a lot of attention to this work. Of course, um, since the um, the tragic collapse of Rana Plaza that killed you know, uh, 1,200 people, um, where there's been a lot of political attention and unions have really been fighting to make sure that these supply chains are responsible and that companies check them. So there's been a lot of momentum building around the garment and footwear work, um, but they have their own history. You know, there's been a long history of uh, engagement in the supply chain in that sector, even in the 90s when a lot of pressure and so-called sweatshop labor around a lot of sporting brands. Um, so, you know, the challenges there is not trying to build something new. It's trying to take what has been done and change it. And sometimes that takes a little longer. Do you find that consumer-facing brands are more willing to make these changes as opposed to, say, companies with a less public profile? I would say, yeah, if they're consumer-facing um, or any company that really has a brand to protect, because, you know, often you'll see it within companies that this is uh, can often be managed by public affairs uh, people within companies because they see this as a brand protection um, now, we're trying to change that shift. We think that you know, due diligence should be embedded into the DNA of companies um, so that it's really part of their day-to-day decision-making. It's not just about protecting the brand. But there's no doubt that when a brand is associated with serious issues like child labor or widespread environmental damage or death, um, that can really devalue the brand. And so they take that very seriously. Um, but there's a lot of other business benefits for companies, even that don't have those brands. I mean, you know, um, providing secure access to finance. What we've seen more and more is that banks are kind of expecting this of their corporate clients. And if they, and if, if they don't, then, you know, their financing and credit lines may be at risk. Um, you know, this could also businesses benefit from doing due diligence and looking at their supply chains. Also, just from a pure supply chain security angle of knowing what are my products and where are they coming from and what raw materials do I need so I can forecast in the 5, 10, 20-year time frame what kind of materials I need. So um, there's a lot of benefits to it, but certainly those companies that have a brand to protect or those that are publicly listed as well, so have shares to protect, um, tend to be more responsive to the kinds of uh, these demands that are emerging. What kind of pressure can you put on companies that are not directly consumer-facing, say a uh cobalt mining operation whose name is definitely not a household word? 
Well, I mean, you know, that is where the beauty of supply chain due diligence and the logic of it comes out because in the end, many of these products are going into consumer facing brands. So supply chain due diligence sort of leverages those uh, supply demand dynamics to push those expectations to those companies that may be deeper or buried or unknown. You know, I mean, these are sometimes huge, large state-owned companies, but most people do not know the names of large state-owned cobalt smelters or refiners in the world. But those are metals are entering our iPhones and they're entering our smartphones, I mean, and uh, uh, electric vehicles. Uh, which are, you know, part of the products of major brand name companies. So by, you know, there is a lot of pressure on those consumer facing countries to pull their supply chains up. And there's been a lot of successful um, activists um, that are also putting pressures on those brand names to push their supply chains deep, even if it's five, 10 layers deep in the supply chain. Um, And also you have to give credit to a lot of civil society who have really, I think over the years, um, you know, developed a very sophisticated understanding of where the harms are in business um, and, you know, and not just limiting it to, you know, the big headline companies, but looking deeper and trying to understand how complex supply chains work and where and who's doing what. Um, So, you know, I think there's a lot of work uh, ongoing to pull those companies deep in the supply chain up to uh, up, up. And I think, you know, Using the brands and the ends is one pressure, but also and I uh, is also the market makers and exchanges is another. If you're a cobalt producer, even if you're unknown to the average person, you know you still rely on exchanges for pricing service, for hedging services, be able to deliver physical, um, also uh, cobalt for example to markets when you don't have a customer. Um, and if those exchanges adopt requir- requirements, that can have a huge ripple effect for those unknown companies. If a stock exchange adopted requirements in, for example, Singapore on responsible business conduct, then that would have a massive ripple effect across a whole range of companies that you know you and I may know nothing about. How do you monitor a supply chain? If you take the case of cobalt, one handful of cobalt looks a lot like another. How can you know for sure that, say, the cobalt wasn't in fact mined by children or in extreme conditions? Doesn't that require a lot of boots on the ground with people there closely watching what's happening? Well, I mean, to answer your question is you can't know for sure. There is no certainty in supply chain due diligence. Um, And it's not supposed to provide 100% guarantee. And it can't. Um, Supply chains are far too complex and dynamic uh, to provide any kinds of guarantees. All a company can do, and what we expect, I should say, companies to do, is use its best efforts to get the information they can and use their leverage to affect change to prevent these things from happening. Uh, If change isn't happening fast enough or it's so harmful, then they should also disengage, figure out ways to disengage from those suppliers or those elements in their supply chain. Um, But they can't know for sure. Um, and I think, you know, journalists and civil society and the public need to understand that supply chains are complex and due diligence is a process about managing risk in good faith, but they're not product level guarantees in complex supply chains. That being said, that doesn't mean we don't need boots on the ground. We do. Um, and some of these areas, I mean, cobalt, for instance, um, you know, this is, uh, what's so-called artisanal mining of cobalt, you know, um, employs, or roughly 10 million people in the DRC or that are either employed directly or indirectly. You know, that's a huge livelihood supporter. 
Um, and, you know, that's something that, you know, companies just can't just walk away from because if they do, the, the, how are those individuals who are some of the poorest in the world going to eat? So what really needs to happen is there need to be, yes, boots on the ground to sort of legalize these mines, to give them equipment to mine safely, to have legal title, um, obviously to remove children as a matter of urgency from any mines. Uh, but even removing children is not an easy, uh, you know, these children may not have many other opportunities. Um, their families may be depending on them. Um, if you remove them one day, how are you going to monitor that they don't come back to the mine? So, you know, a lot of these issues are development problems. Um, and so companies can't also do it alone. So when we say boots on the ground, there need to be companies monitoring these mines, checking them, making sure they're free of children, but they also need to work with development partners to really make this a successful industry that supports growth and jobs instead of you know child labor or conflict. An industry that wants to apply OECD due diligence to its own business and processes how would it go about doing that? Is that a direct relationship with the OECD or an indirect relationship? Yeah, well, we have a number of avenues where we engage really closely with business and business groups as well as uh, trade unions and uh, civil society. All of our processes on due diligence are sort of multi-stakeholder. So we have large fora uh, every year uh, where we bring everyone together to really try to address the nuts and bolts of the problems. You know, last uh, last April we had our big minerals forum where we were we brought all the cobalt players into a room and we mapped what's going on and we found really that not enough is happening on the ground, those boots on the ground type of thing. Uh, and so we developed an, an action plan to, to see progress. So we play our, our role as more as a facilitator and an advisor. We're not consultants, of course, so we're not going to go in and certify a company. Um, we're not going to you know, provide uh, specific advice, uh, detailed advice for companies, but we're always happy to help shape initiatives or certification programs as they emerge to shape policy as it emerged to be really a matchmaker between companies looking for advice and those that can offer it um, and and but you know and facilitate to help drive these implementation of these standards we do that also with our garment and footwear project uh, we have a number of, of, of activities where we're looking at all these auditing programs uh, and seeing whether they're aligned with our uh, the due diligence guidance and the garment and footwear supply chain. We have a pilot now, which is probably the closest we're working directly with individual companies. We have a pilot in our agricultural work where around 40 companies are implementing the agriculture due diligence guidance and reporting to us about how it's going, what challenges they're facing. So, you know, we draw from that industry expertise. We engage a lot with them and, you know, companies should just, you know, reach out to us. Uh, if they're developing an initiative, we're always happy to provide advice. Um, but also look for those fora events where really everyone comes together, where they can get the expertise they need. Thank you very much, Tyler. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. You'll find more on OECD due diligence guidance for multinational enterprises at oecd.org corporate. This is OECD on the level. Thanks for listening.